Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We are honored you've chosen to listen and pray you're blessed by this talk. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit bravechurch.org. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you. Um, on behalf of Tina Steam, as a board member like Darren said, I want to thank you for thinking of us and choosing to donate to us. So thank you very much. We, uh, we have some great opportunities. We go into public schools, private schools, and we, we basically, to put it bluntly, we save lives. We, we give kids the tools they need to stay alive and to make healthy decisions. We empower students. Just, just September, I, as a chaplain, I get to speak in some of the schools at our assembly, so I have a part in that. And we were just a couple miles away in one of our high schools, and I go in as a chaplain, and I share a little bit about uh, my experiences, one in particular, about what parents experience when their kids take their own life. So I talk about depression and suicide. Our kids are under a lot of pressure, and I explain to them the, the impact that that decision has on them. And so I talked to the students for a few minutes, and I took a risk uh, last month, and I asked the students, 3,000 students in this high school, I asked them, I said, if you have a friend or you know somebody who you feel is depressed and possibly suicidal, raise your hand. This is a school of 3,000. Now, I didn't have time to count the hands, and I was, I was afraid maybe nobody was going to be brave enough to raise a hand. There were, I, I, I estimate, at least 400 hands go up. So that, and I stopped and I just looked at all the administrators and the teachers and I said, did you, did you catch that? Do you see what's, you see what's going on right here and right now? So, so thank you. All that to say, thank you for helping us literally go out and save lives and address the need that's in the community. And hopefully our hope is <clears throat> that they'll have a chance to stay alive and meet Jesus on this earth. You know, we want to meet him here and not wait until later to meet him. You know what I mean? Are you with me there? Good. So, hey, speaking of being a chaplain, so I, I, I do all kinds of chaplain work. I'm with the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Office. So I work at Danville PD a lot uh, with the San Ramon Valley Fire Protection District, and I serve the San Ramon Police Department as a chaplain. And it's a, it's a crazy world. And I, I want to share really briefly, I was talking with one of you during the break about small miracles, and this was just a unique thing. So last night, I, I went to the, 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 the Division One playoff state final. My alma mater, San Clemente Tritons, were in the state final. And they've never even won a CIF championship. They went all the way and they went to Sacramento. So my wife and I, we drove out there. We watched the game, came from behind 17 to 0, and they won 22 to 17. And we were going to stay and watch De La Salle play after, our, after that game. And it was so cold. You know what I mean? It was... And I looked at her and we said, you know, I got to preach tomorrow and it's cold and do you want to wait? And it's like, well, it's just De La Salle. They win too many games anyway, you know, forget those guys. So we didn't, we didn't. So we left and went home and as we got home, drove all the way, we stopped at Fenton's. I had a big Sunday. Uh, I have a, I have a sugar hangover this morning. Get home. I grab all the stuff out of the back. I'm walking to the front door and my phone rings. It's in my pocket and I got all this stuff. I, I haven't been called out on a chaplain call for about a month. You know, and sometimes I get called two or three times a week. Sometimes I go a month. It was one of those deals. I don't know why. I, I, it just I, the thought occurred to me. That's a chaplain call, and my fleshly response was, "Oh God, you got to be kidding me! I'm tired. I just drove. I, I was going to go over my message for tomorrow. I got to get up early, you know, and and so on and so forth. God, just please, not a chaplain call." I, I, and I pulled my phone out, and it's a it's the fire department. 
I said, oh my gosh. And usually when I see my phone, it's bad news. When they call me, somebody's, somebody's died. And, uh, and somebody else was supposed to be on call, so I answer it. And I go to a home of an 81-year-old who passed away. Her husband was with her, her, uh, her, her daughter, and her two daughters, so the granddaughters of this woman who passed away. So I, I go into the, I, 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 the, the police officer and the firefighter kind of brief me on who's in there, and I go in, and, and it's just a, it's a heart-wrenching scene. Somebody you love dies suddenly, and I walk in, and the young lady, the young girl, the oldest granddaughter, she looks at me, and she goes, are, are you Noel's dad? That's my daughter, my 20-year-old daughter. I, I know you. You, you spoke at, at so-and-so's memorial, one of our teenagers who was killed a few years ago. And the, and the, 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 the mother said, yeah, I know you. I went to the service and heard you, heard you speak. And they were like thrilled that somebody they knew was there. And a little while later, the, the daughter shared with me, she said, she goes, you know, when, when the police officer showed up, they asked me if I wanted a chaplain, if we, if we wanted a chaplain. And we said, yes. And when we said that, I thought of you. And I, I, I was hoping that it would be you. Now, we've got, we've got more than a few chaplains in our community. I'm not the only chaplain that we have. And I wasn't even on call. And we almost stayed late for that game. And my phone rings and hasn't rang for a month. And we sat there and, and she said that to me. And I'm going to tie that into my message this morning. Because later, I'm going to talk about what I'm experiencing when I go out into our community and I walk behind these closed doors and I, I just get a little picture into the window of, of the lives of people that live where we live in this community. Now, I got into chaplain work 15, 19 years ago and out of a fondness for basically the fire service. When I was 20 years old, I grew up in San Clemente. I was a reserve firefighter and got into a little bit of firefighting and then God called me out of that against, sort of against my desire to go get involved in a camping ministry in Oregon. So I went to Oregon, did that, but I've always had a fondness for the camping ministry. And when I was about, when I was 39 years old, I was a youth pastor over in Palo Alto. I, I went to go serve in a church in Austin, Texas. So I moved my whole family to Austin. I love Austin. Anybody here from Texas? What? Seriously? Nobody? <laughs> That's because all the Californians are moving to Texas. See, they're all, they're all there. Nobody from Texas is coming here. So we moved there, got there, and I, I, I preached a sermon, and somebody heard me talk about I used to be a firefighter. And they came up to me and, and said, hey, we got a fire department here. We got a volunteer. You need to come. And for six months, I said, no way. I'm too busy. Can't do it. My heart was like, yeah, I'd kind of like to do this thing, but didn't do it. Finally, they broke me down. I show up at a, a volunteer fire meeting. And I kid you not, after the meeting, the chief walks up to me with his arms full of brand new bunker gear, the helmet, the coat, the, you know, and, and, and a pager and all that stuff. And, and he holds them out to me and says, here. And I'm like, are you, and so I'm going, are you kidding me? I go, who does that? I go, I'm not in California anymore. No training, nothing. He's handing me. And everything inside of me said, don't stick your arms out. Do not take that stuff. You're too busy. You can't do this. You're too old. All that stuff. And you know, my arms went like this. <laughs> and he laid him in my arms. And I, and I went home. I'm in the garage. I put all the stuff on. My kids were, my kids were little. And I go running in the door. And I'm like, look at me. I'm a fireman. You know, I'm, I'm chasing the kids around. I'm picking them up. And we thought that was the funniest thing. And then my wife goes, what happens if your pager goes off? I go, I don't know. They didn't tell me. 
what with radio? What if you get a call? Are you going to go? I, I, I don't know. They didn't tell me not to. You know, so, so the next night, the radio goes off. There's a, there's a, a structure fire and, and they need firefighters. And my wife looks at me. She says, what are you going to do? And everything inside of me said, do not go. Whatever you do, you've had no training. You have no, and I said, I'm going. So I got my little Taurus and I, you know, in Texas, they let you put a light and a siren in your car. I mean, I don't know why I moved back here, but I did. <laughs> you know, under the siren. I show up and I get out of the car and I'm putting on the bunker gear, the helmet, and I'm, I'm like a block away and I'm walking down the street, you know, brand new fire. People are outside, the glow, the fire, it's burning down. I'm not even thinking about the fire. I'm thinking, look at me, man, I'm a firefighter. <laughs> and people are out, I'm, I felt like I was in a parade. I'm waving to people, how you doing, you yeah. Yeah, I'm a firefighter. And all of a sudden, the moment of truth, I walk up and here's a fire just raging in this house. And I'm just standing there looking at it. I'm the only fire, just firefighter just standing there looking at a, at a building burn. You know, like this guy needs to be doing something. So somebody runs up to me and says, hey, put on an SCBA. That's a, you know, the mask and the tank and everything. And, and that was when, that's the first time when my voice said, do not do this. I said, okay, I'm not doing that. I said, I was new, I couldn't do it. So yeah, I went and filled air tanks. Long story short, afterwards they said, another captain came up to me and said, put on the SBA and go do overhaul. Fire's out, you gotta go and just clean up things. And so I put it on. I can't believe, I'm in Texas. I got the whole tank on, I'm in there and I'm doing stuff and nobody's talking to me. And I realized all my firefighting gear is brand new. I don't have a mark on it. They're not, they, they know I'm the rookie. So I saw like a, like a wall over there, it was burned. I go over and I'm like rubbing up against the wall, you know, I grab some chart, I'm doing this, banging on the helmet a little bit. And after a while, they're like, hey man, what's up? And I'm right in, and, but I eventually got dirty. Great, great introduction to the state of Texas to firefighting. I eventually got my training and that's where I, I began to do chaplain work because they didn't have a chaplain. So I was their first, first chaplain. I certainly have a lot of stories that aren't so funny, but I do want to start with this verse. You know, Jesus tells us, or Paul writes, he says in Galatians 2, chapter 3, verse 27, he says, those of you that have been baptized in Christ Jesus, you have been clothed in Christ. See, when we come to Jesus, we, we put on new clothes. And it's brand new. It feels good. You know, your life is, you, you sense the change in your life and you put on that coat and everything's clean and everything's good and you got a fresh start and you, you kind of walk around like, I'm, you know, I got it. You, some of you remember that if you became a believer when you were younger, I do. I was 21 in college, man. It just, I was on top of the world. And, and yet after a while, life gets kind of messy, doesn't it? You know, that, that coat can get kind of, it's supposed to protect you. But eventually that coat is going to get a little bit dirty. It's going to get a little bit messy. Life gets messy. So, so you really have to understand. I have to understand what does it really mean to be clothed in Christ? Because we've all got work to do. You know, we've all got work to do. You know, there's something working with <clears throat> firefighters and police officers, but firefighters are kind of funny. You know, I'll go into, well, firefighting is kind of a funny thing because 
you know, I go into a station, you know, and firefighting could be such where you, you, you've got a fire station, you've got, you got, you got camaraderie, you've got a place where the firefighters show up, you know, and they've got, they make meals together, they have fellowship, they go out. Firefighters are the best cooks. I mean, every once in a while I'll be driving through town, I'm going, it's about dinner time, you know, and I'll drop into a fire station and they're always like, hey, come on in, let's eat. And I, the best dinners ever, they're great cooks, you know, and I love their meals. And they, they clean the fire engines all the time. They take care of all their equipment. They do their training, you know, and they, they get to hang out. And they, it's, it's all at the fire station. But, you know, every now and then, the alarm goes off, and they have to go fight a fire. They actually have to go out into the world, and it gets a little bit messy out there, and it's not so pretty. Everything in the fire station you can manage. You can control it. It's clean. It's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. But the reality is you're there to go out there. And I remember thinking to myself, sometimes that's what the church is like. You know, we like, we like being here. It's clean. It's nice. We, we do our training and we take care of things in the facility and, and we like each other and, we, and, and, and all that's really good. But the reality is we're really called to be out there and that's where we live life and it gets kind of messy. So do we have that right? Do we have the gear on that protects us when we're out there? Because it is messy and it's dangerous. And, and that's when the training pays off. This is the, the locker room, if you will. It's halftime. And we come in and we listen to the coach and he reminds us of the game plan. And then the coach says, now get back out there. That's where you belong. We belong here at certain times, but that's where we live life. And that works. So we are created as, as workmanship to do the work of God. But what is that work? Do you ever wonder about that? God, do you ever think to yourself, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What am I supposed to be doing? What's this work that we're called to do? Well, there's an interesting passage, a story in the scriptures in John chapter six, if you have your Bibles turn there, verse 26, where Jesus shows up to a crowd of 5,000. I I was up with a crowd of 3,000. It's a pretty powerful experience to be with so many people, and like I just mentioned, so many of whom are hurting, they're hungry, they're tired, and Jesus had compassion on them. And what did he do with the 5,000? He, he fed them. They had a great need, and he gave them food. So let's pick this up in chapter 26, of, uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 26, in the Gospel of John. This whole little passage, I'm only going to give you a part of this passage, but it's all about bread. So be thinking about bread. So Jesus answered them and he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him, the father God has set a seal. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may do the works of God? They're asking the question, what do we do so that we know that we're doing the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. I, hope it, I love it when Jesus actually answers a question and he's going to give them this straight up. You want to know what the work is? Here's what the work is. Here's what the work of God is. So, you know, when I hear that, it's like, okay, I'm all ears now. What, what, what is Jesus going to say? So this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Just think on that for a second. That's his answer. 
this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? Isn't that interesting? He gives them the answer, and what do they want? Just like us, what do we always want? We want more signs. We want more evidence. And there's not anything terribly wrong with that. We're sort of wired that way. We want to we want to see, we want to grab, we want to hold, we want to feel, we want, you know, and, and, and I think God sort of created us that way. So I don't know that it's terribly wrong, but they ask him, what, then what do you do for a sign so that we may believe and believe you? What work do you perform? So here's the interesting thing. Jesus, Jesus, it wasn't so much the supernatural that they wanted, but they, they, wanted, they wanted the blessing. They wanted food. They wanted a tangible thing. They wanted a thing from Jesus. And they got food. And Jesus said that they were working for food. And that's kind of like the trap that we can get in sometimes. Because we will seek, when we know the Lord, when we know God, sometimes we'll find ourselves seeking the blessing more than the blesser. Does that make sense? We seek the blessing way more than we want the blessor. More than we want him. And without even realizing it. We just think that he's in our lives we, we come on Sunday, we, we, we tithe, we do the thing, and, and we may never say this, we may never even think it consciously, but it's like he owes us. You know, I'm doing all the right things, so the blessings ought to come. But it doesn't work that way, does it? If you've been around the block, you know it doesn't quite work that way, because he only wants one thing. He wants us. He doesn't want our works. Those are important. Don't, don't, don't hear me saying that those are not important, but Compared to what he really wants, you, son, daughter of God, he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants relationship. What's so, what's so hard about that? What's so difficult? Isn't that awesome? He doesn't, he doesn't want you to have to earn anything. He, he, he just wants you. But he's telling them, you, you all here, you're, lo- you're looking for a sign. You want something tangible. You want more food. You want, so don't be filled with those things. And in verse 27, you know, he's saying, do not work for the food with, which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Don't work for the things that only give you the blessing now. He's not saying don't work to eat. We all work to eat. He's saying that you will not be satisfied by simply working to eat, to working to drink, working to be seemingly merry. And in verse 28, they ask him that question. So what do we do that we may do the work of God? His answer is not at all, not even perhaps what we today would have imagined would be the answer. He says, he, they, see, they're seeking the to-do. And he's going to give them a ta-da. I, I married a to-do. She, Heidi, she'll be here the second hour. She's German, you know. The, the Autobahn, German engineering, right? I, I'm the Greek I pick all of his brake plates. You know, I live on the beach in the Mediterranean. She, she's schnell, and I'm whoopa. You know, so <laughs> she's to do, I'm to da. And those two worlds, you know, they often clash, but they're they're a great they're a great partnership as well. You know, we need each other because there is a to do. But Jesus is going to give them the to da. He's going to give something that's going to maybe like you know the. Boom. You see that in commercials a lot, right? What's that thing? Pow. He's going to give them one of those, the ta So what's his answer in verse 29? This is the work of God, 
that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the question is, well, believe in him. What do you mean believe in him? Here he is. I believe in you. I see you. He's the mayor, right? He's here. I believe in the mayor because you're here. I see you. But do you know the mayor? I mean, do you really know the mayor? Let me tell you about the mayor. I don't know. (laughs) He got nervous right there. His tie just got a little tighter, right? I don't know any, I just know you're a good man and I'm only good, good things. But you know, to believe, what does that mean to believe in him? So that's what I want us to think about for just a few minutes because we all believe in him. I believe that to be true. So what is this work of belief? I, Jesus is gonna, he's giving us a tada. It's a, it's, it's a supernatural thing to believe in him. It involves the supernatural, experiencing him in a supernatural way. It's experiencing him in a way that just blows your mind. So we live in a community of 170,000 people in the San Ramon Valley. And so I serve the, the, the agencies that serve that community, 170,000 people. And I've, I've estimated that there are about 35 churches. You know, there's a handful that are very kind of evangelical and, and wanting to, you know, really... And, but there's a lot of churches that have just been here for a while and they're kind of cloistered. But there's about 35 churches and I've estimated that perhaps maybe on a given Sunday like today, there may be maybe 10,000 people attending a church, maybe maybe 15, maybe a few, a lot more belong to a church. I meet more people that, that you know, belong to a church who don't go to it and so on. But so, so that leaves about 150,000 people in our community that are out there who aren't in church. Well, let me tell you something about what I've experienced. Now, this is only my experience. It's not empirical evidence, but I'm going to tell you about a book that's sort of validated what I've been experiencing all these years. And when I go into a community, uh, when I go out on a call, I end up in a home, and there, or I could be in the hospital. It can sometimes be on the street. It can be just about anywhere. But oftentimes, like last night, it was in a home. And I, 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 I sit with people who are experiencing tremendous loss. And, and I call those sacred moments because, because everything else sort of falls away and nothing else is really important to these people and to these families. And, and, and they don't care about much else except what's happening and the loss that they're experiencing and what's going on in their mind and their emotions. And, and I call it a sacred moment. And I, I, as a stranger, don't want to walk in and sort of upset the cart and say or do anything that, that interferes with that. I, you know, you want to be helpful. And some, sometimes the best way to be helpful is just to shut up, you know, and just to be present and just to wait and watch and see. And you, there's a power in presence when you're with people who are suffering and going through a hard time. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just have to be there. And know as believers, you got the presence of Christ with you. You don't always have to try to fix something with your mouth. You know, just sometimes you sh- and God will tell me this, Nick, shut up. You know, just, just be there. So, but I, at some point when I'm with people, I, have, I will ask them, if I don't already have a clue or see something or hear something, I will ask them, do you, do you have a faith? Uh, and the answer I get, I'm actually writing a book. I have seven chapters done, and the title of the book is Used to Go to Church, because that's what I hear in some form or fashion. It's uncanny. Almost, I would say, 90% of the people I encounter 
do not go to church, and they will tell me that they used to go to church, which on one hand is very interesting because I meet very few atheists who don't believe. I can hardly remember meeting one. I think I, I know, but most people have some sense that there's a God. They have a belief. They, they will call themselves spiritual or religious. They will say those words to me, but they'll also say, just like last night, I heard it again. Unbelievable. There was a point where, and this is, this is where, where they, they, they come in, they ask me to pray, and I, and I get to pray with them, and they say, well, I, I, at some point I asked, I said, do you, do you all have a faith community that you, that's how I, I word it. Do you have a, because I'm thinking support, I'm thinking help, and that's all I'm thinking, not judgmental, not, you know, you should, or it's just, that's a resource for you. And, well, she, she used to go to such and such, but she doesn't go anymore, and can you say a prayer? And so I prayed, and, 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 and that was the answer. And none of them had a church that they belonged to. And the point isn't, which is fine. The point isn't going to church. But I had a chance to pray, and I read some scriptures, and I had a chance to talk about Lazarus and Jesus being with Martha and Mary. And I, I said this last night, and I was very careful about it. So as I share this with you, I'm not, I really think and I'm praying, God, is this okay? Should I? Shouldn't I? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And they were very, seemed very receptive in that sacred moment. And I, I read that scripture and I said to them, I said, you know, I said, there's a lot of things to believe in the world today. A lot of spiritual things. There, there's religions around the world. And I said, I don't know much, but I know Jesus is a man who, who was born, who lived, who died, and who rose again from the dead. And I, and I had the rapport with him to be able to say, and I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. And they all were like, yeah. It's like I got to preach a little mini sermon, you know. But I knew that they were, they, they were hungry and that's what we do when we go out there and life is a little messy. We, we jump into people's lives and people have jumped into your lives and you will jump into people's lives when your own life is still messy because none of our lives truly ever get really cleaned up in this, in this. We're all dying. I mean, we're all going that direction, right? So we're all dealing with that sense, whether you're young, you don't realize it, you don't feel it as much, but you don't get to be my age and, you know, I'm feeling it. But we're all, it's, and, and so we're all sensing that, that urgency about our lives. And we go out and we minister to people who are dying and we wait and we listen and we, we, we provide opportunities to, to uh, be the presence of Christ. Now there is a book I was gonna bring and I forgot to, but it's called Churchless. It's a few years old, but uh, George Barna is a, uh, he collects data and he does polls and research and statistics and so forth. And I have a slide if you want to put that up. But in his book, he, 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 he validated everything I was thinking about people in our community because there's a lot of people who used to go to church. He calls them the de-churched and the unchurched. And nationally, about 50% of the people in our country are de-churched or unchurched. And I would say here in the Bay Area, which is, which is the most de-churched, unchurched area in the whole country, I would say it's like 80%. You can almost, that's my experience out in the community. So we live in a community where people 
I would say this. They, they don't want to go to church for some reason, for a variety of reasons. I mean, they might have had a bad experience growing up going to church, or they just have some stereotypical thoughts and ideas about church that isn't true. Whatever it may be, they, they don't want to go to church. So it's a challenge for us in leadership to wonder, you know, how much, how much are we trying to go to them and how much are we trying to get them to come to us? You know, both have a place, but I'm telling you, for the most part, you and I need to go to them. We need to be with them. They, they may never, hopefully they would, because we know the faith community is a source of, of, of great training and, and, and growing up in Jesus and understanding the truth, right? Great fellowship. And this family, they need that fellowship. They need people to surround them, and they have good family. But man, there's so much you're missing by not being in the community of faith. Yet, they, that isn't the point, isn't to get them to come to church. What they need to realize is that Jesus Christ, the man who rose from the dead, he's the bread of life. So when Jesus was to, fed them the bread, do you remember what he said to them that they had a really hard time accepting regarding the bread? He said, I am the bread of life. And what do you do with bread? You eat it. And they looked at him like, what do you mean? Is you talking about cannibalism? What are, you, what are you talking about? And what Jesus was telling them is that you need to believe that when I'm the bread of life, you take me in like food. And I sustain you from the inside out. That's what food does. It doesn't just fill us and satisfies us. It sustains us and nurtures our body. And in the spiritual sense, Jesus comes into our lives and he changes us, but he nurtures us and sustains us from the inside out. It's a supernatural phenomenon. And what I've discovered is that people in our community, 150,000, most of whom used to go to church and don't want to go to church, they've experienced some kind of church somewhere, sometime, and they don't want anything to do with it. And what they missed somehow was that supernatural event. They experienced church and they missed out on Jesus somehow. They got too much church and not enough Jesus. Because you don't walk away from that. You can walk away from church. Church changes. We, we are, we're an organization. There's just no getting around it. We kind of have to organize ourselves and do things. But that's not the essence of what Jesus is all about. It's about our lives being changed and he just loves us and empowers us and changes us from the inside out. That's all he ever wanted from us, right? Isn't that awesome? So that's the work of belief. So maybe as you walk out today and you're one of those people, if you're like my wife, you're a to-doer and you're like, all right, what's the application? What am I gonna go do today? Who am I gonna, you know, number one, what you can do is I, I, I now empower you all. If you weren't, didn't know this already, you're all chaplains. We're all chaplains in the community. You know what a chaplain does? A chaplain just builds relationships. And when the you-know-what hits the fan, you've got a relationship to step into and to minister by your presence, if nothing else. And then if God gives you the opportunity to, to give them words of encouragement, words of hope, words of truth, words that have answers, maybe not know so much for what happened, but for what can happen. 
out of something terrible that happens. So you're all chaplains. You're all commissioned. If you believe that Jesus is in your life. So I want to I wanna end with just a, a demonstration. I love little, you know, I used to be a school teacher. I taught elementary school. I taught junior high. So there's a youth pastor for how many years. So I still got the illustration thing in my head. So, so but I want to I wanna relate something to you. Um, Jesus in John chapter, uh, put up that John verse in, in uh, 17. This is a prayer that Jesus is praying. And I want you to be thinking about that as I illustrate this. This is a cup, right? It's a container, and a container is made to hold something, just like us. In a sense, we're all containers. We were all made to contain something, to hold something. You know, but in the church sometimes, or in our Christian life, if we're a to-do person, we don't think so much about what goes in. It's like, well, how does it look on the outside? You know, what am I wearing? What am I doing? And we like to clean up the outside. You know, and, and maybe we have some understanding of we've received Jesus. And so we, we, we do things, to, we, we pray, we do Bible studies, and we get a little bit of Jesus in us, you know, and we got some Jesus, and, and we think we're going to use Jesus to go do good things. So, you know, we, we go off and we, we have a neighbor who's having trouble, and we go do some good things, you know, we give out a little bit of Jesus, you know, on that neighbor, and, and, and we go... We go help out, and we serve this way, and we give a little bit more over here. We got a guy at work that's really difficult, and, and we decide in Jesus' name we're going to help that person, and we, we teach some Sunday school over here. We lead a Bible study over here. We, you know, and next thing we know, I'm, I'm out of Jesus. So what do we do? We go back to church. We get a little more Jesus, you know, and, and then we keep giving it out. But every now and then, we're just feeling constantly depleted. And we get in that routine of just wanting more, needing more, and we miss a very significant aspect to who we are as sons and daughters of the living God. And when Jesus prays this prayer, he's praying, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe. Now, here's the word believe again. But for those who also believe in me through their word. Their word is the word of the disciples. We've received the word of the disciples to believe in Jesus. But what do we believe? And here is what we believe. That they may all be one. That we may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me. He's talking about his relationship with the Father. The unity of the Son with the Father. Even as you, Father, are in me. I in you. See, this, this, this cup represents the Lord himself. And when God comes into our lives, he does fill us up to the fullest measure, right? Isn't that what the scriptures say? This is our life in Christ. Filled to the fullest measure once and for all. That's it. And Jesus says, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, listen to this, that they may also be in us. That's a picture of your life. You never have to go get filled up again. You know, you don't have to need more. This is, this is you and this is me. And what happens here? When we understand this and we begin to grasp this, and let's, let's, let's agree together that we'll never completely grasp the profundity of this until we meet Jesus face to face in another realm at another time where there is no time. But for now, he gives us a glimpse into this unity that we have. And so, so what does it say? So that the world may believe you sent me. How are they going to believe that he sent Jesus? 
because they're going to look at us and just see that this is how we live. This is who we are. So friends, the pressure's off. Don't think about to do. Think about to be. Be that son and daughter that God intended you to be, full of the fullest measure. And then when we're going out as chaplains in the community, you've been set free from any constraint. If you have to do, you just have to be. And go be. And when you're living this kind of life, God just speaks to your heart. He, he's, there's no more law. There's no more commandment. It's all written on your heart. It's, a, it's an organic outflow of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you just listen and engage him. Now, granted, we spend our lives engaging him and wanting more and more, but we're already full. And just believe that. Believe it. But come back to that. And when you doubt it, make sure you're coming back to the right thing to believe, and don't try to come up with something else. Don't try to find another angle or a better angle. It's only one thing. It's this. Come back to this verse in this prayer. And may that encourage you this morning. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and we're going we're gonna to worship and continue on. Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus. As we, celebrate, as we celebrate his birth, we can't forget about his death. But yet, when we think about his death, we have such great hope in you through the resurrection of Jesus. And who does that? Who, who, who dies and rises again from the dead? Only, only one man. And he's your son. And Lord, this season, we're reminded that we, we're, we're going with the man who rose from the dead, who's not just a man, he's your son. He's, he's the essence of who you are. He's our God. So bless us and just work on our hearts. Lord, speak through your word between the lines. Speak to us in ways that I, as a man, could never, could never speak the right words. You, you, you speak to us individually, what we need to hear how we need to understand how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.